Well, it was a hard-fought battle. Um, you know, you got a championship game that is a, ends in a one-point difference, and we put ourselves in a position to to win it at the end. And they, you know, they made a play. And I've said this numerous times: the winning team is going to have a net difference of positive plays and those kind of things. So they they made a play right at the end. They made some other plays too, obviously, but you know, we had our chance and. They made a big one at the end to win the game, seal the game. A very disappointed Mike O'Shea as the Bombers dynasty comes to an end in Grey Cup 109, a 24-23 loss to the Toronto Argonauts, a fantastic CFL game, but not the best for Zach Caleros. Hats off to Toronto. They played a great game. Um, you know, it seemed like we really couldn't get into a rhythm uh, offensively for most of it. Uh, we put together a couple good drives, but... Um, didn't do enough um, to win the football game. So usually comes down to a couple plays, and there's certainly a couple uh, we'd want back. And uh, But they played a great game. Great Cup 109 really had it all. It had some big returns, some stupid, crazy penalties, some interesting coaching decisions. What was Mike O'Shea thinking going deep with Dakota Prokoff? Had some key interceptions, especially late in the game. Hey, a backup quarterback comes in to save the day. How about Chad Kelly? And who would have predicted? Two blocked field goals. This is the biggest one to make it a four-point lead. In the final two minutes, the first one to give the Bombers a chance to win. The second one to seal the deal for the Argos. And how about Robbie Smith? Takes a dumb, dumb face-masking penalty to extend the Bombers' drive. But then he is the hero as he gets the block on that game-winning field goal attempt. He knocked Mwamba. He is the most valuable player of the game and the most outstanding Canadian. 11 years of hard work. 11 years I've uh, been playing this game and all I ever wanted was to be great. Man, to reach the pinnacle, there's nothing like it. Tell you what, it's one of those images you're never going to forget from Grey Cup 109, the emotional hug with Enoch Mwamba on the stage and he embraces his four-year-old daughter. And how about the emotion for Andrew Harris? He wins his third consecutive Grey Cup game, this time as a member of the Toronto Argonauts. It was some sweet revenge. No one thought we were going to win this game. Maybe a few people, but a lot of people counted us out. We got it done. So Grey Cup 109 is in the books. We get to break it down on our final episode of Football North for 2022. We're also going to look ahead, look into the crystal ball, look into 2023. On the round table, we welcome back Morley Scott, the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton Elks on 630 Ched. We also welcome back Derek Taylor, the voice of the Bombers on CJOB. Derek, you've had a couple of days to digest you have had your final coaches show of the season with Mike O'Shea. Are you over the shock and disappointment? I I am. Um, since we didn't call the game, I found it to be a dramatically different experience than in previous weeks. Like I, I'm still stunned that the Bombers lost that game and that Kalaris had the game he did. 
and that the Argos were able to, to win that one, despite, in my mind, being a, a lesser team. But, uh, yeah, it was a weirdly detached week at Great Cup for me. Morley, what did you take away from the game? Because I, I thought, re- realistically, I didn't have skin in the game. I didn't have a horse in the race. I, I, I will say this. I, I was thoroughly entertained. Horse in the race. I get it. You made a funny, a nice one. Uh, yeah, I was I was very entertained. I was a little worried through the first quarter that this was not going to turn out to be a good game. But the, the deeper we got into it, the better the game got. And th- that fourth quarter, I mean, that featured everything. I mean, it starts with the, with the punt return, record punt return, 102 yards for a touchdown. Uh, then it had the two field goal, uh, the two field goal blocks. It had the game winning drive for the touchdown. It had a quarterback change. Uh, it had everything in that in that fourth quarter, extremely, extremely entertaining. I thought really enjoyed the finish. Uh, I mean, the two blocked field goals on back-to-back drives. That's incredible. There was two blocked field goals all season long in all the games in the Canadian football league. They would get two in the last two minutes of the mm-hmm. great cup game it was just incredible. I remember when the Elks had one blocked earlier this year and, and they were going through a stretch where they were getting, they had uh, three punts and a field goal, I think on uh, in four consecutive games blocked. And I remember Chris Jones talking about, it. he said the most upset he was, was because of the field goal, because he goes field goals only get blocked every 500 or so tries. Right. And, and I, I thought about that conversation when I'm watching two get blocked on back to back plays in the final two minutes of the Grey Cup game. I thought it, this is a pretty rare thing we're seeing here. But for me, totally entertaining. Really enjoyed it. It was it was a great way to finish off the season. Derek, you mentioned you mentioned Zach Caleros, not his best game. And 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 hey, the, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have committed to, to this individual for the next three seasons. That's the right move. He's the he's the most outstanding player in the Canadian Football League. But the story heading into the week was his ankle injury that he suffered late in the West Final. Uh, you, you know the team. You're around that team. How how did that ankle affect his performance, or did it? I I, I would have to argue it did. Uh, he didn't look as escapable as he normally is. And there were a couple of sequences early on as I was watching the game. Uh, the first drive, they uh, they run the ball. They get to second and five, and they run the ball again with the running back in that spot. And I went back and looked, and they had what 48 second and fives this season. They'd only run the ball eight times in those. And I went, hmm, is that just to give Toronto something different? Is that is that truly an established run, or is that something to cover up for Kolaris? And then on the third drive, they got to second and four, and they ran the ball with the running back again. And in that circumstance, they'd run the ball less than 25% of the time this season. And I thought, hmm, okay, is that is that just a different look? Is that something that uh, is to help Kolaris out? Uh, Mike O'Shea eventually said, hey, we're really good running the ball in second and four this season, which is true, but it's a real, it's a passing down in the Canadian Football League. So I, I, I wondered about some of that. I wonder, they had Dakota Prukop in there three times on first and 10, mm-hmm. and I know Dakota's had some success this season, but you're taking the MOP of the, of the league off the field to put Dakota on. So I, I wonder if some of those were to protect Zach or, I mean, uh, on the other side, uh, they might well have been overcoaching. So there's there's plenty to talk about in that respect. But I, I just, I don't know what you guys think, but I just don't think he looked, you know, I think his ankle was definitely a, a, lim- a limiter, though not a big one. 
No, I, I would agree with that. And, and I, I love your comment about overcoaching because sometimes coaches just want to outsmart themselves. We, we saw Dave Dickinson do it, you know, to himself and to the Stampeders in, in the Western semifinal. And, and Mike O'Shea going deep with Dakota Prokoff on the interception. I, just, I sometimes just shake my head what, what coaches are thinking. If it works, they, they look like geniuses. When it doesn't work, you know, they, they look like fools. Morley, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's kind of funny how they keep those analytics and they keep track of everything uh, throughout the season. And then don't do what their analytics tell them to do. Don't do, they don't do what has made it successful all season long. And I understand there's part of that is you want to throw something different at the opposition because the opposition has the same numbers you have. Right. But still uh, it's, it's, if it's a successful play, you want to keep going with it and you want to keep using it. Uh, The the pro cop one going deep, that one really surprised me. Um, Although it has been a play around the league that's worked a lot this year. I think we've seen it this year more than any other year where, uh, you know, a guy comes in and he's under center and he, you know, everyone's expecting, in the run and he, and he drops back and throws it and, and, it, and it has some success to it. But yeah, I think you're right. Coaches sometimes think too much and they just don't go with their gut. Uh, they, they try to, they try to read too much into it and it turns out going the wrong way for him. And that's what happened on that play. I think. Uh, hey, you, for, yeah. So I was going to say, sorry, Derek, you, you talked to, you talked to Mike O'Shea on your final coaching show. Did, did he address that at all? Yeah. He said Dakota was success, successful for us all season long. So why wouldn't we do that? He's a good football player and everybody contributes. The, the one thing, and Morley brings up a good point about teams, a lot of teams have done that. They'll get in second and very short, right? Like second and one. Go under center, tight formation, bust a guy loose. Uh, I'm sure Montreal did it this season. I know the Bombers did it. A lot of teams, uh, uh, BC did it very successfully in the playoffs, mm-hmm. right? Um, that That's it. But this was, for me, this was first and 10. And his, I mean, if, if, if I'm talking to Buck Pierce, I'll be like, why do you think second and one and first and 10 are the same thing? Because they are dramatically different when Zach Galaris is sitting there on the bench. Um, it's, it, it, was, it was interesting. As, as the season went along, they got more and more aggressive with when they would put Prukop in the game. And it's, I mean, I, I didn't like it as we watched it. And obviously the results say, I mean, I, I hate, I, I can't go results oriented. I just can't, but I didn't like it when they did it. Yeah, no, it's, it's so true. Uh, so, so many interesting storylines in this game. You know, the storyline of Andrew Harris uh, coming back and, uh, you know, a, a little bit of revenge. Chad Kelly coming in in the fourth quarter and, and leading the Argos to a victory when McLeod Bethel Thompson goes down with the, with an injury. We can talk about Enoch Mwamba. We can talk about Robbie Smith taking a terrible face-masking penalty to extend a drive and then becoming the hero with the with the block kick. Uh, when you look back at Grey Cup 109, uh, Morley, what, what, what's your best storyline? 
I think it's the blocked field goals for me, having them so close together and happening the way they did with the game on the line both times. Uh, to me, that's what I'm going to remember most from the game. And and the other part for me would be Chad Kelly coming in the way he has mm-hmm. because I, I did see a stat, and uh, Derek, you'd probably know better than I do, but uh, I, I saw a stat that he was the he was the quarterback, uh, the backup quarterback around the league who got the least amount of snaps during the regular season. He played the, the fewest amount of snaps, and and then he steps in like this, and 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 he leads him to you know he had 20 what 40 some yards passing 20 some yards running leads him to the game winning touchdown drive uh, i think that's a, a pretty terrific story as well Derek? yeah i i it's that's got to be just i think of the backup quarterbacks around the league that sounds yeah. right i think i'm going to take away the chad kelly the, well one one is self-serving but that's the one that's not self-serving is chad kelly changed that game and uh o'shea said you know he does he's not doing anything different past concepts or past concepts but that game felt dramatically different when Kelly was in there. All of a sudden, bing, boom, boom. They're driving the ball through the air, and then he has the 20-yard scramble. As I watched that, uh, Kelly do that, I'm like, if if MBT stays in this game, Toronto loses by 12, 13 points. But Kelly, and then obviously the Javon Leak return that set them up at the Winnipeg 35, were enormous. But yeah, the, the quarterback switch, because of a thumb injury to me, was uh, changed that entire game. It was mm-hmm. It was incredible to see how how quickly he was able to get in there, despite, like Morley says, so little action during the season and and make an impact against a really good defense. That's a, that's part of it to me is the fact that it happened so quickly too. I mean, the first drive he came in and moved the football so well. Uh, there just seemed to be a different energy to the Toronto offense when he came into the game. Uh, you know, they were they were very controlled and very laid back with uh, with McLeod Bethel Thompson, but when Kelly came in, they just seemed to have a different spark. In a salary cap world, uh, you know, I I said it about the Tampa Bay Lightning in the NHL. You know, you, you get three straight uh, appearances in the, in the in the Stanley Cup championships. You, you win two. Uh, you're a modern day dynasty. The, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, obviously, they win back to back with the COVID year in between. You know, they have a 15 win season. They lose the Grey Cup. Uh, are they still a modern day dynasty, Derek Taylor, or do they have to get back to the Cup and win it next year? I I would have said three straight Grey Cup wins dynasty. I dynasty so the, the definition is so just lingering out there. Mm-hmm. If they're in the Grey Cup next year, if they win the Grey Cup three and four, pure dynasty. Like the the Bombers of the fifties uh, and sixties, uh, fifty eight, fifty nine, they win. Sixty, they lose in the semifinals. Sixty one, sixty two, they win. That's not, that's a dynasty. Yeah. That to me, four and five dynasty. So. Two and three, no, but three and four, yes. Morley? Yeah, I, I think next year it will decide it uh, for the Bombers. If they get to the Grey Cup, and especially if they win it, then then you got to start thinking about them as a dynasty for this era. Uh, if they don't get to the Grey Cup next year, then all of a sudden you start to say, well, yeah, they won two in a row, but they had a year off in between, uh, and, and it just had a different feel to it. And all of a sudden, it, it kind of, I don't know if it taints what they've accomplished, because they still won back-to-back Grey Cups, even though they were played with a year off in between. But I just think it has a different feel to it. And I think people, you know, take different approaches to those two. Some say... You know, while they had a year off, so guys weren't banged up and they didn't have, you know, all that all that mileage on their bodies going in back-to-back years. But then they were able to keep their team together uh, through the COVID season, which a lot of teams were not able to do. And they still came back strong and picked up where they left off, which had to be difficult as well. But for me, it's next year. If, if they win it again next year, they're, they're a dynasty for sure, especially with the landscape they had to work with. Keeping the team together, that is, that is a key statement because 
here in Calgary, and, and I'm based in Calgary, you know, obviously 2016, 2017, 2018, Calgary Stampeders had a little bit of a, a modern-day salary cap uh, dynasty happening as well. They, on, they only won one championship, but at the end of that, they couldn't keep the team together. You know, you break up the band, and you had to hit the, the reset button. Uh, Derek, uh, uh, you know, hey, you, you, the team lost, you know, Kenny Lawler last year. They, they lost, you know, obviously Andrew Harris, uh, you know, last season. Can they keep the band together? I, I, I'm convinced Mike O'Shea is going to get a contract. I'm not worried about that, but, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you're, you're closer to it than me. Well, a, a lot of it is they get their stars back, right? What every team is chasing is star players. So they've gotten Zach and Willie and Jackson Jeffcoat and Adam Big Hill to return year after year. That's, that, that's a big deal. To a lesser extent, the Nick Dembskis, who's uh, on, uh, if he's not a star, on the verge of being a star, potentially. Uh, Brandon Alexander, who is a total stud at, at safety. They get those guys back. And, and to me, that's the big part because then they can fill in around it. The thing that they've gotten, how do I phrase this properly? Um, either their scouting is the best in the CFL or they've gotten a little lucky with, with the uh, guys that they brought in the last couple of years. Dietrich Nichols is he is unbelievable at that at that halfback spot. DeAndre Alford went to the NFL after one season with the Bombers. That was two rookies playing the boundary side on defense who crushed it. Uh, this year they go to Mar- they go and bring in Dalton Schoen. Schoen ends up being the top receiver yardage wise and touchdowns in the Canadian Football League. And you go either you're the best scouters ever and everybody else missed, or you got a little lucky on on both of those pulls and. It's it's they're probably really good and they probably got a little lucky as well. So can you get lucky as you try to replace Dalton Schoen? And if you have to let guys go, like pretend you have to let Winston Rose go on that corner spot because you need to save some money. Well, can the guy that you get, you know, from America to come in and fill in, can that guy be D. Alford or Dietrich Nichols level? Uh, They're going to have to get exceptional value from minimum salary players once again. And that seems like it is really tough. Mm. Uh, so, so true. They, they lose. They lose, as you mentioned. They lose the Harris and Lawler from uh, the second team, or from the team that won the first two. And I guess because they didn't win, they take a step back. Now they're probably going to lose more guys this year. And I think it's more than anything else. It's attrition with those kind of teams. And I think we've seen that in Calgary uh, for the last, you know probably for that stretch of five or six years for Calgary, everyone kept saying they're going to take a step back and they never did, but then they finally did start to take that step back. They finished second. Then this year they finished third. They're, they're kind of in a position where eventually it all catches up to you at some mm-hmm. point. And that's got to happen with the Bombers as well, because a lot of times you hang on when you're winning, you hang on to the guys a little bit too long uh, or, or the guys who are up and coming, they, they get offers with worth more money and they go somewhere else to make more money and, and leave the franchise. So I think this is going to be a pretty key off season. I think for the Bombers. And if I'm Mike O'Shea, he's been working on, as I recall, one-year contracts, right? Because that's how he's comfortable. This might be the year I want a two or three-year deal if I'm Mike O'Shea <laughs> when I go into my negotiations. Well, can I just jump on that one for a sec, John? You he, bet. It, the, the interesting thing, uh, I don't know, people have been saying it's a one-year deal, but I, I'm told it's been three-year deals all the way through. And yet, because O'Shea's not going to correct anybody in the media, right? But the, the story of, of one-year deals, I think... Uh, just from what I'm told, it's overblown. Like he's been okay. doing three-year deals, so he he's up for another three-year one. Uh, and uh, well, I would I would assume he he wants some sort of term if he's coming back. But I can't imagine what what would keep him from coming back. But yeah, Jeff Hamilton, the Winnipeg Free Press, wants to make sure that everybody knows O'Shea's been signing nothing but three-year deals along the way, even though he lets <laughs> the other story fester because it's kind of it would be kind of a neat story, right? But for exactly yeah. the reasons Morley says, I want a long-term deal. 
You can take long-term deals, even if you tell the media on Wednesday that you don't really care. That is uh, that is great insight. Uh, okay, let, let's let's look back on the 2022 season just for a second here on Football North, guys. And you know, here in Calgary, obviously the biggest story was was Bo Levi Mitchell, and 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 for me, it was the whole quarterbacking situation because Nick Arbuckle loses his job in Edmonton. You know, Vernon Adams loses his job in Montreal. Bo Levi loses his job in Calgary. Cody Fajardo loses his job in Saskatchewan. Dana Evans at times lost his uh, number one job in Hamilton, and and who knows because of the Great Cup game maybe McLeod Bethel Thompson has just lost his job to to Chad Kelly in Toronto uh, you know in a nine-team league and you have that much turmoil at your uh, at your starting quarterback position that is what I'm going to remember about uh, 2022 Morley uh, what are you going to yep. remember about 2022 yeah that's that's exactly right I think on, on a league level it is it is that the quarterbacks were, were a great story this year because every team seemed to at some point this year whether it be through injuries or or quarterbacks losing their job they had issues at quarterback except for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, I believe, who, you know, who yep. were the only issue was, are they going to give Kalara some rest this week as they head to the playoffs? Right. And, and, and I think that's, that's probably the thing that I'm going to remember most uh, is the, the, the turnover at the quarterback spot. And that kind of looks, you kind of look ahead now and wonder about what's going to happen in the future. Where's everybody going to land? Because there's going to be a lot of guys who aren't going back to not win their job back. Right. Like Bowley by Mitchell, obviously, and Cody Fajardo. I don't see him in any way, shape or form being back in Saskatchewan. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is going to be an interesting uh, off season that way, but yeah, to me, the quarterbacks and, and then, you know, throw in with all the guys losing their jobs. How about the guy taking a job and Nathan uh, and Nathan Rourke, who just was to me, the story of the season. It's sure. just a shame that the injury wiped out what could have been an absolutely historic season for him at quarterback with the numbers he was putting up through the first half of the season came back and just didn't, I don't think had time to get into a groove and get going before he ran out of real estate as far as the season goes, but quarterbacks, you know, in, in a league, we always talk about being a quarterback driven league quarterbacks were easily the story uh, of this past season. Derek. Yeah, a hundred percent agree on that. Like Winnipeg is set and Montreal probably feels like they're set with Trevor Harris, if they can resign him. Other than that, seven teams are in flux of, is our guy going to the NFL or we just traded for Bo or what are we doing in SAS? Like it's, it's going to be crazy for 2023, but I really expect it better from the, uh, from the quarterbacks based on how teams were positioned. One, one that I'll take, I'll take from the season. And it, this is the part where I go entirely self-serving because I'm not the biggest running back guy uh, that you ever saw. And the replaceability of running backs to me was was a fantastic storyline if you're coming from where I come from. And uh, uh, Kadeem Carey was awesome this year. But all of a sudden, oh, hey, Peyton Logan can run the ball. And uh, Jock, the third guy, uh, Mills. James, was James, a, Butler, a, James Butler was good. Mills was good oh, in Hamilton, yep. Yeah, the the third the third guy in Calgary. Oh, it was the third guy. Teacher. You're talking Peyton Lo- Peyton Logan. Yeah, Peyton Logan, and then then one came in late in the season. Forgive me, I forget his name, but uh, the two oh, guys Dietrich, in Dietrich, Sass- no, Dietrich Mills. You're thinking, okay, yeah. There we go. That's yeah. the one. When he played, we're like, oh my gosh, this guy's yeah. unbelievable too. Saskatchewan had Jamal Morrow, and people were like, this guy's unbelievable. And then Frankie Hickson came in. Oh, this guy's unbelievable. Yeah. So every team kind of uh, Don Jackson in Hamilton, and then West Hills in Hamilton. Uh, AJ Olette behind Andrew Harris. Every to me, this this year was if we look at it, wow, running backs are pretty replaceable. So I was super happy. Again, entirely self-serving for the point I'm trying to make to football fans. But uh, running backs and let, let's start paying our offensive lines because 
If AJ Olet can do what Andrew Harris does, I just need to pay more money up front, and I'm going to have a tremendous running game. Yeah, no, it's great to see those Canadian running backs uh, with some skill uh, as well. You know, at the State of the Union in in Regina, you know, Randy Ambrosi basically came out and said, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, the game is in a good place. Hey, we're we're not perfect. You know, uh, we we still have you know a few little issues here and there, but but we're really on solid footing. Um, and 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 hey, it seems like everybody wants to pile on to the Canadian Football League. Oh, attendance sucks, and attendance is is, is not good. I I agree with what Randy Ambrosi is saying. I, I I think you've got some momentum because of the Grey Cup game, because of the the season. Hopefully, we can build on that. Uh, Morley, what are your thoughts? Yeah, for sure. I, I I think so. I think the game is in a good place. And and as you said, Jock, there are mis- you know there are problems and there are issues. But there's yeah. problems and issues in every pro sports league that they're trying to fix to make their game better. I think the CFL uh, looked better this year. There was more entertaining games this year. That's mm-hmm. for sure. The well, there was more more plays that you kind of marvel at this year than than especially the year before, which I thought was a really flat year with a lot of just ho-hum games this year you had some excitement in the game for sure and and you're right building on it is tough and I think the worst thing about building on it is the CFL well it's such a long off season for starters and and the CFL uh, has really not done a great job of building on their past you know performances building on their past positives moving forward and they got to make sure somehow they find a way to do that this off season because it hasn't happened in years past and 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 I don't know what their plan is and what their marketing scheme is but they they've got something to build on we'll see if they actually do build on it now and and get some traction with the fans you know the viewership was was good for the Grey Cup game I think it was averaging around 4 million or something like that uh in the game so that was that was good to see uh a Attendance is going to be the biggest issue, and, mm-hmm. and doesn't matter what the TV ratings are. You got to get bums in the seats, and, and that's a problem everywhere in the Canadian Football League. You know, even in even in the big markets, even in the pop like Saskatchewan was down in attendance. I don't know what what Winnipeg. I know Winnipeg led the league in attendance, but I don't know if their numbers were were where they were in years past. And you know, they've got the best marketing tool of all, a winning team. So there's something there, but. Uh, to me, that's where they got to figure something out as far as uh, getting more people to go to more games across the country. Yeah, they, they've got the stability with the CBA, Derek, and, and I think that's important for the league moving forward as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I want next season, uh, Morley, you'll be happy to hear this, I want Edmonton and BC to be really good next season. Be like, mm-hmm. ten, I want okay Rourke back in BC. Yeah, I, I want Rourke back in BC. I want Edmonton to be really good. Whatever quarterback they throw in there, I would love that guy to be a star. Because those are two new owners who really get it. And I, and I want them to continue to really get it. Because it takes energy to, uh, to put that all in, right? It takes energy for Victor Quay in, uh, in Edmonton to go, we're going to do this with the Alberta Golden Bears. We're doing this. We're having this. Every, this is coming on. Like, at some point, I, I'm, I'm afraid at some point you just would get frustrated as a business guy going, okay, uh, this, this ain't working. And now I, I got something else on, on my radar. I, I want funny. them to be good. So, go ahead. Go I ahead, was- Morty. I was thinking about that. Sorry, I was thinking about that the other day, and I was thinking, I wonder how run down a, a guy like Victor Kui gets in the marketing department and the and and the, the department that has to sell tickets and has to create a buzz when your team doesn't win at home, when your team goes three wins, then four wins in a season. How tough it is to stay positive and keep putting up the good vibes and and keep trying to get people to come to the games because you know every time you make a, a statement you get shot back with, well, you haven't won at home in three years. Like, why should I go to a game? Mm. And you can't fight that, right? And and that's, you know, it's the same with any team that's struggling. It's pretty hard to sell tickets. And that's why 
you know, a winning, a winning franchise, winning games is the best marketing tool you can get. And I, I think Edmonton's going to have some issues at the gate until they start to win on a consistent basis at home. They kind of took a step, I think, near the end of the last last year with at least some exciting football and some exciting players like Kevin Brown and Dylan Mitchell. And the fact that Taylor Cornelius started to get better and started to run the ball more and do things a little bit more exciting. There was stuff that brought you to the edge of your seat in Edmonton, but still they didn't get a win. And until they get a win the marketing departments you know they're they're driving a bike up an uphill up a big steep hill right now trying to get people to come to games exactly so if cornelius could have a josh allen of the buffalo bills second to third year revival right allen was awful then he was unbelievable and he's this physical monster if if i could if i could wish that for christmas that cornelius <laughs> would have that progression and keep nathan rourke in bc and see Calgary and Saskatchewan, certainly Jack, just take dumps and just be in the bottom of the league. But those three teams, <laughs> along with the Bombers, are are running the West and each win in 12 games. I, I just think I would love to see the ownership groups in Edmonton and BC get rewarded for what they tried to do and then mm-hmm. go, okay, well, everybody else, let's we got to catch up to this. And Winnipeg does an outstanding job marketing and needling opposing teams and getting folks to the stadium and go, I want these teams to get rewarded so that everybody else goes, oh, hey, wait a minute. Let's let's jump on that because that connection to the fans in, in the early in the early parts, uh, it, it, it'll only pay off down the stretch. And that's, you know, people people say, well, the CFL needs to do this while and then it kind of ignore the fact that the teams are doing it. The teams are outreaching and uh, Amar Dolman in B.C. has really driven driven, you know, uh, an uptick in that first year. And that playoff game was super well attended it was great to see uh, i just I, I want success for those guys so that they get rewarded guys being those clubs uh to get rewarded in 2023 my christmas wish for the calgary stampeder fans is uh you know maybe maybe a new stadium but that's not happening and uh, maybe a new owner oh. that, that could happen we'll uh, we'll see what uh, we'll see what transpires on that front you know guys uh, i i'm gonna i'm gonna end with this comment because you know the the nfl as we know is the the biggest most powerful sports brand out there in north america uh, yeah, the cfl is still you know the the second biggest football brand out there in North America, and and hey, I'll say this: the CFL is a little bit of a trend center. We we had Frisbee Rob and and the dog Sailor at McMahon Stadium for a halftime show. What happens? They saw what he did in the NFL. Mercedes Benz Stadium brought in Frisbee Rob from Calgary and the dog Sailor. So that that was good. Let's not forget it was the CFL in 2015 in April that moved the convert back to the 32-yard line. Well, a couple of months later, the NFL followed suit. Let's not forget, let's not forget the Black Eyed Peas played yep. in a halftime show in Calgary, <laughs> not in Calgary, in Vancouver. You know, a few years later, the NFL had to follow suit, bring in the Black Eyed Peas for a halftime show. And then Tyler Hubbard, Tyler Hubbard played the halftime show in Regina. Minnesota Vikings must have liked it because they brought him in for the uh, for the Thanksgiving Day game in uh, in Minnesota. So, did, did you guys happen to see the halftime show from Mexico in the Monday night game this week? <laughs> no, I did not. Well, it was, was just it, a mariachi no, band. Gonna... It was not bad. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Uh, so, so I guess you know, with my final comments there, the, the 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 challenge moving forward for the Canadian Football League is the XFL, is you know the USFL. There are these new leagues. I, I'm not convinced that they're a huge threat just yet. I know the player recruitment is is going to be maybe maybe a a, a bone of discussion for for a lot of uh, CFL teams. But you know h- how concerned should the Canadian Football League be with these two other uh, leagues coming into the mix? 
I think there has to be a bit of a concern, obviously. Uh, we're going to see that this year. We've already seen some players who are free agents uh, in the CFL or are going to be free agents in the CFL. They've gone into the XFL draft, and uh, they're going to be in a position where they can they can play there. Uh, and I, I just think it's something they have to be aware of. But, the, but those leagues, to me, and if I'm a player – to those leagues, they still got to prove themselves. I mean, yep. CFL has been around for 109 years. The the XFL is on what crack number three, right? Uh, trying to get through at least a season before they move on. So they they have to prove themselves. Uh, I think for any of the uh, of the marquee players to head that way, I, I think uh, I think there's going to be players who go that direction who are guys who are you know maybe journeymen in the CFL and maybe just want to play yeah. at home in the US. But I I don't right now see the big name quarterbacks or the big name receivers or anything like that heading to those leagues just yet, because there's absolutely no guarantee of that. And, and everyone, to me, a lot of people talk about, well, they just want to go there and, and they only play a 10 game season. I go, well, who wants to play 10 games? Why don't you want to play 18 games? Mm-hmm. I mean, there is something to that as well, but uh, it's, it's an issue they're going to have to deal with at some point. If those two leagues get past their first year and get into a second year, then all of a sudden I think it's going to have more of a factor probably next off season on the CFL. Me personally, I don't think American football fans give a damn about spring football in the United States. I, and, and until they prove me wrong, I will still have that belief. But uh, Derek, a uh, final word to you. Yeah. The only thing I'd be worried about is quarterbacks because everybody else, I mean, there are so many football players in America that any, uh, any field side corner, would be replaceable by 10 other guys. And honestly, and coaches would know the difference, but as a fan, I wouldn't know the difference. So to me, the game would be just as exciting. Think about guys who went to the NFL uh, and go, well, when Darrell Walker left, was the CFL any less exciting? No, not really, because we had other guys to kind of focus on. So that'll always be it. But quarterbacks, we, we started off by talking about, man, I can't, we can't believe how awful it was for most teams at quarterback this season. If you start taking too many of those guys out of the CFL ecosystem, then there's the potential for problems. So hopefully uh, GMs have their their fingers on the pulse of that. But I, I, I'm not. Ten games in the spring. I It's like watching a November World Cup. I kind of don't care <laughs> because it's, it's just the wrong time of year, right? If Canada wasn't in this World Cup, I wouldn't have been paying attention or to. Or the Stanley Cup being won in September, yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. It just it doesn't it doesn't fit. So um, the, yeah, the one thing I, I don't remember. It, go ahead, I was going to say if I could say one more thing on that. Uh, one thing I saw was was some people saying like the CFL will know it has issues with those two leagues when Canadian players start signing in in the USFL and in the XFL. And if that starts to happen, uh, then there's probably going to be an issue because Canadian mm-hmm. players aren't as easy to find. There's not you know there's not yeah. hundreds of field side corners or hundreds of running backs graduating from Canadian colleges every year like there is in the US. No, I, I think that's a, that's a very fair point. Guys, uh, that does it for the final episode of 2022 for Football North. And uh, uh, Morley, you and Dave Campbell, uh, thanks so much uh, for all your help this season. Appreciate it. Uh, uh, good luck to the Edmonton Elks next season. Uh, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. It's uh, it's been uh, it's been cool coming on coming on here once a week and talking football with some of my favorite guys. I've really enjoyed it. And Derek, uh, to yourself and uh, Kelly Moore, who's helped out a few times as well. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, good luck to the Bombers next year. I appreciate it. Uh, Morley, I would apologize for all my shots at Taylor Cornelius, but he is still <laughs> terrible, so I don't take any of them back. I apologize to absolutely no one, like Conor McGregor once said. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. I, hope, I do hope for better for him because he would be an exciting player if he was a top five. Oh, the Elks would be so excited if he was a top five QB. 
all your Man, all your shots at him were made up for when you had that good Christmas wish for him. So we're, we're good. <laughs> there you we're go. Even. I love it. Hey, karma's hey. A, karma's a bitch, Derek. That's why the bombers lost, man. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, guys, that does it for another edition of Football North. Thank you so much for downloading the episodes of this season. Really appreciate it. Hey, if you ever want to weigh in, if you ever want to feedback uh, for me, uh, you can always send me an email, jock at am770chqr.com.